Good afternoon, folks. Welcome to an episode of Living Light Outdoors. Going to catch us up here a little bit with our story time with Buster that we usually do on Saturday nights. Uh, I know I am a week behind. We didn't get to do Saturday evening. I was on a trip, so we're going to put this one out there. We are, uh, obviously, we're reading one of Rick Joyner's books called The Valley, and uh, <clears throat> this, this chapter this week will be called The Reward. Parallel to our path and not far away, a huge multitude is forming into what looks like an army, Charles reported. It looks to be made up of the stragglers and wounded sojourners, but they are now being led by demons and dark princes that they do not seem to recognize as evil. They are just submitting to them. I've seen this before, I replied. What else can you tell me about it? We found it by following those we saw gathering the wounded. We thought at first that they were taking them somewhere to be helped and started to hail them. But we immediately felt that something was wrong. We decided to stay hidden and observe them. I'm glad we did, Charles continued. I'm glad we did too, Adam said. What they led us to was something more evil than I have ever imagined. Finding this was like seeing something out of the bowels of hell itself. I called it the hordes of hell. This is from hell. What you saw is part of the devil's army that is being mobilized to attack the mountain. I have seen this army, and I have fought against it on the mountain, but I never knew where they got so many fallen or deceived Christians for it. Now it makes perfect sense that this is the place. As I looked around, virtually everyone who was not on watch or with the scouts was standing nearby and listening. There was a soberness and a sense that this was the ultimate evil and danger that we had encountered. What can we do? Charles asked. We can't attack them. They outnumber us many times over. Not to mention that we would be attacking our own brothers and sisters who have been wounded and fallen, Mary added. The numbers in this evil horde are far greater than what you saw, I explained. I'm sure that what you saw was just a small part of it. It must stretch all the way to the mountain. You're right, we can't attack it yet. But what we can do is recover the stragglers and heal the wounded before they can be captured and made a part of this evil one's army. How do we do that? Michael asked. You may be an answer for that, I replied. How so? You were just about to be captured by that horde before you turned back and asked to rejoin us. Can you and the rest of your group take some of our people and go out and see if you can find and persuade any wounded or stragglers to come to us, I asked. Yes, but why would you trust us to do this? We were as deceived as they were until we came to our senses, Michael rejoined. That's why, I answered. That's why, I answered. You know better than most what was deceiving you and what caused you to come to your senses. You know how they think, and you know what might persuade them. Can you do it? We will do our best, Michael asserted. Michael and his group seemed to appreciate being given the mission and the trust, but they also seemed concerned about such a risky task. I asked for volunteers to go with them, and they soon had all they needed. Then we kneeled and prayed for the teams that were going out. I was surprised to see tears in the eyes of some of the former deserters. They were getting delivered of their rebellion just by being trusted. They would be even more healed as the Lord worked through them to be the healers and the rescuers. As they moved out and disappeared through the trees, Mary stepped close to say something to me 
that she did not want anyone to hear. Are you sure that this was the right thing to do, sending that group out to lead such an important mission, she began? No, I'm not sure, but it seemed right. I have doubts about it too, but when I saw their reaction to being trusted with this, my confidence grew that it was the right thing to do. We'll know soon enough, I replied. It was bold. It would have been bold to just send them out with our people, but to make them the leaders was indeed very bold, Mary added. Mary, there was a time when I was as rebellious and cynical as they are, maybe more so. It all changed when I was given the leadership of a small group. Until you've carried the weight of leadership, it is hard to understand it and not wrongly judge it. It was only when I was put in a position of leadership that I started seeing it correctly. I also saw how terrible and destructive my rebellion and cynicism was. The king had mercy on me, and I must have mercy on them. This may be the only way they get healed. And if they do, they could be great in the service of the king, I explained. I hope you're right. Actually, I think you are right. That is what has been going on with me, too, since you asked me to take the lead, helping the wounded. I think I am getting healed of more than they are. You may have done the best thing that could have been done for those deserters and for us. I think they are going to come back different, Mary added. I thanked Mary as she walked off. Mark, who had overheard the last part of our conversation, came up to me. You should do more than thank her, he said. Why? I asked. You just saw an incredible breakthrough, maybe as big as what we have seen with Adam and his group. Please explain. That is the first time I have heard Mary affirm leadership, but the fact that it was male leadership is even more impressive. I don't know what happened to her, but she is getting free of something big, Mark surmised. Thanks for your insight. I did not realize this was such a big thing, but now that you mention it, I can see it, I responded. Let's keep this between us. This kind of healing can be a very personal thing. I will, but she is not the only one getting healed or delivered of stronghold by being used to heal others. I don't think I have seen this depth of joy in anyone before either, Mark stated. Tell me about this joy you're seeing. I have been thinking that we are running short of it lately, I said. In your position, you have not had much time to get deep with people, but I have, Mark continued. I have never seen so many experiencing one of the greatest of joys, the joy of knowing you're doing what you were created for. They may not be smiling or laughing often, but that is because it is serious business we're in. Even so, I assure you, this is the happiest group I have ever seen. Mark, thanks for sharing that. I sometimes can't see the forest for the trees. That is most encouraging to hear. Are you ready for a little more encouragement? Mark asked. I'll take all that I can get. Our relationships are getting deeper and stronger by the day. I've not seen so many people able to open up with each other and share things that are so deep and personal. This means they are growing in trust with each other, which means we are getting much stronger as a people, Mark finished as he walked off. I was thinking that this was the best news I had in a long time when William came up and said that we were ready for the mission of the day briefing. Mark brought up our mandate to find and destroy the works of the devil and asked how we could avoid attacking the evil horde as it was the biggest target of all. William replied that we were not abandoning this strategy, but this one was so big and powerful that we needed a clear strategy before engaging. 
we first needed to observe and learn all that we could to find any weaknesses that we could exploit. William added that he needed to go into the fight with a clear understanding of what a victory against the horde would look like. Did we want to drive them off, scatter them, or free the prisoners and see them restored? We agreed to pray for and seek a clear vision of what we were to accomplish before we attacked. Then we started out with our usual deployment of watchmen around the group. We also sent a few small teams to find and stay in contact with the evil horde and to gather in all the stragglers or wounded they could before they were captured. A few hours later, Michael's team brought some of the wounded and dispersed from his old church back to the group. Michael and his team were noticeably excited by their success. By the end of the day, our group had grown by several dozen. Soon, we would be double the size of our little band that had entered the valley, and we were growing by more every day. One night, it was almost dark when we found a suitable place to camp on a broad ledge that could only be approached from two paths, making it easy to cover with watchmen. We gathered under the brighter moonlight for our evening council. I asked Michael to share about their expeditions and what they had learned. There are still many people from our old church that are wounded and scattered about out there, Michael began. It has been some time since the battle that broke out among us, and they are now so tired and desperate that it seems easy to persuade most of them to let us help them by bringing them here. But their wounds are deep, and most are in terrible confusion. Interestingly, some had glimpsed the evil horde and discerned that it was the devil's army. When these get fully healed, they will likely be able to help us a lot. Did you encounter messengers from that evil horde? Charles asked. We saw them, but I don't think they saw us, Michael answered. They were scouring the valley for the wounded and seemed very efficient by trapping any that they found. It was disheartening to see. It gave us even more impetus to work harder to find the wounded and scattered before they did. We also noticed that they seemed to just be interested in the wounded. We saw them avoiding the scattered ones who weren't wounded, but I'm not sure why. The wounded are the easy prey for them now, Mark said. They will come back later for those who are not wounded, but are wandering aimlessly. They will capture them too. Should we just focus on the wounded now? Jen asked, as they all looked to me for an answer. Michael, did you try to help any of the unwounded stragglers today? I asked. We were so occupied with the wounded and hiding them from the evil ones until we could get them back here that we just told those who were not wounded about our group and pointed them toward you, Michael answered. Those must have been the ones who came to us during the day. I think there are only about a half dozen, William said. That's about how many we sent to you to find you, Michael added. It seems that it might be a good strategy to point those not so wounded to the group so that the mission teams can focus on the wounded for now, William said. I then asked Mary how it had been ministering to the wounded that had been brought in. I think we were able to get them stabilized. Having someone serve and provide them with fruit and living water made a big change in them. However, I'm concerned about how selfish most of them are and how demanding they are of those trying to take care of them. This is especially true of those who are not seriously wounded and could easily take care of their own needs, Mary lamented. What would you do about this, I asked William. I would give work to all those who are well enough to do anything and have them start serving the more seriously wounded. For those who are demanding service for things they can do for themselves, I would require them to do those things for themselves, William answered. What do you think, Adam? I asked. I agree. The fastest way to get them healed is to have them serve others and get their attention off of themselves, 
That selfish, entitled attitude was a big part of what caused the destruction of our church. We need to go after that attitude whenever it surfaces like we go after the enemies in this valley, Adam replied with Michael nodding his assent. Mary, do you agree, I asked. I do, and we will implement this immediately, she answered. But what should I do with any that do not comply? What do you think you should do, I asked. I think we should stop serving them and let them go hungry and thirsty until they start taking care of their own needs, if they can. What will you do if they become disruptive and start infecting others, I asked. When Mary hesitated, Charles spoke up. Those who refuse to take care of themselves when they are able, or refuse to do work assigned to them, we must leave behind. We cannot keep them in our group and allow their poison to spread. What do you think about that, I asked Mary. I know Charles is right, but I just don't see how we can turn people who are still wounded out alone in this place. They will almost certainly get captured by the enemy at best. Mary, if any become disruptive and refuse to follow the policy, why don't you come and get me to enforce it? Just be sure to explain to them completely what we will be forced to do if they do not comply, William said. Thank you for your offer, but I think if this is required, I must be the one to carry it out, Mary countered. Mary, there may be a good reason for letting William or another senior leader do the removing of any that must be cut loose, Mark offered. What reason, Mary asked? For healing the wounded. It could be important for you to be seen as non-threatening as possible, Mark responded. That may be a consideration, but I think that I should be the one to do any enforcing in my department if I am to maintain the authority in it and I need to do my own job, Mary countered. I also think discipline and taking some responsibility is crucial for their healing. Mark, that is a good point, I added, but I also think that Mary is right. Mary, you should leave what Mark said as an option, but it is your department and you do what you think is right in this. I will, and thank you, Mark, Mary concluded before turning to me and asking me if there are any scriptures that supported this policy. We discussed the exhortations in Second Thessalonians 3.10. If one does not work, neither let them eat. And the one from Ephesians 4.28, those who were formerly thieves were required to not only work, but work to have something to provide for others in need. After that, we talked about the command to mark those who cause division. Finally, we discussed how Paul commanded the Corinthians to remove the unrepentant from the church. But when this led to repentance, that one was to be received back with open arms. It was good to have the discussion, and everyone seemed to understand and agree with the policy we had decided on. After the council, Mary went back to the wounded and explained the policy to them and to their team members. There were a few questions, but the policy seemed to be understood and accepted by everyone. One of the wounded even said that just having clarity about what was expected of them helped. None of us were aware at the time of how critical this discussion and the implementation of this policy would be. Within a few days, the wounded and stragglers had taken in greatly outnumbered the original members in our group. Over the next few weeks, there were several major developments that turned what could have been a great stress on all of us into a positive that led to momentum. Michael's team continued to get better and stronger. Their success in recovering the wounded and disconnected stragglers brought so much encouragement to the rest that everyone wanted to go with them. Soon, just about everyone rotated duty with them. This was a huge source of energy and vision for the entire fellowship. It also brought a lot of respect and trust for the previous deserters, so that they were not just honored members of the fellowship, but leaders. The deserters not only had their vision renewed, but broadened. They were now very excited about the Lord and His people. 
and even in the hardest times, they never seemed discouraged. There were also growing daily in their compassion for the wounded and scattered. They were now a major source of vision and faith for the whole group. We could not have accomplished nearly what we did without them. The next major encouragement was discerning that when the demonic messengers discovered our recovery teams, they fled in terror. Noting this, Michael encouraged his teams to attack these demons every chance they got, and it was not long until they were rarely seen anywhere close to us. One day, a main body of the evil horde drifted into our camp. We had called for a day of rest and had let our guard down a bit, so most of our people were lounging about and very vulnerable. To everyone's surprise, the evil ones not only failed to take advantage of this and attack us, they fled in terror even though they outnumbered us. The people mobilized fast and mounted a counterattack. This scattered the evil horde and allowed us to recover many Christians that had been bound and forced into the evil one's service. This nearly doubled the size of our group again in one day. I was concerned that this was far too many to take in it at one time, but that provided to be an unjustified fear. Nearly all of the original members of our group were now moving in healing and restoration gifts. Not only did they prove ready for this challenge, but they handled it with ease. This caused us to consider that we were ready to take in bigger numbers. Each evening we had a leadership council meeting. They were open to anyone to observe, and at the end we asked the observers if they had any comments or suggestions. This helped to keep everyone informed, but they also felt engaged and connected to our plans and actions. This seemed especially helpful to the new people to fit in faster. One of the most strategically important developments that strengthened and enabled us to grow so fast was the emergence of small groups. After the council meeting, small groups began meeting all over the camp. It was in these small groups that the people got to really know each other, and even more healing and ministry took place. A profound bonding was happening with all. These gatherings became so special that they were soon the highlight of each day. We started keeping the council meetings as short as possible so everyone could go to them. It did not take long to see how essential these were to the strength and constitution of the group as a whole, especially as we were adding so many people so fast. Mary was the most responsible for the growing healing ministry that nearly everyone was now moving in. She learned that she could speed up the recovery of the wounded by quickly putting them to work and increasing their responsibilities. After the accidental collision with the evil horde and the recovery of so many of their captives, the wounded that were in Mary's care became some of the most zealous in helping to heal those who had been a part of the evil horde. It was like watching a constant miracle to see the wounded becoming healers fast. Mary finally had to confront an obstinate young man who had refused to help with the work. She first mandated that he not be given anything to eat and drink, but that if he was to eat or drink, he would have to go get it himself. He did this begrudgingly, but when he continued to refuse to help with the work and tried to sow discord among the other wounded and staff, she sent him packing. This was challenging for many, especially Mary, but the ultimate result was even more discipline and focus on her team. It would be a long time before anyone tested Mary's authority again. Mary was like a new person. She was even stronger and more resolute, but it was a different strength and resolve, softened by compassion and sensitivity. She loved what she was doing, and it seemed for the first time that she really liked what she had become. She was a queen with authority, but not harsh or threatening. Few had been able to get close to her before, but now it seemed everyone was drawn to her, and she welcomed it. Healing is more infectious than disease, Mary said to the council one night. She was perhaps the best example of this. 
Mary was now included with William, Charles, Michael, and me in the senior leadership of the group. Mark had started a prophetic fellowship that included the watchmen, scouts, and others with obvious prophetic gifts. The more attention we gave to this, the more the Lord gave us direction and wisdom through dreams and visions. As I looked around the circle, it was remarkable how close we had all become. This is family. This is koinonia, I thought. We had been getting close as a group, but we could never have gotten this close without this valley, and certainly not as we were growing in numbers so fast. We have been working and fighting so hard for so long that I have not even thought about how much further we have to go to get out of this valley, what commented one night. I'm not sure I want to leave it now, Adam said. I've never seen so much healing and restoration as in this place. I've never felt so much love for his people or from his people as I have here. I think we are becoming all that I have ever dreamed that the church would become. I can't imagine leaving this now. After a few more such comments, it seemed that everyone was looking for me to comment on this. So I did. There seems to be two questions on the table. How much longer will we be here? And do we even want to leave since we are seeing so much fruit? I have tried to track our course to know where we are. There have been so many days that we moved laterally and we have not made much progress toward the other end of the valley. However, we've made much progress in what we must become for the times we will be entering. I think we have also secured a part of this valley and made it a refuge for the wounded and disoriented sojourners. The enemy seems to avoid getting anywhere close to us now, and the word has gone out that this is like a city of refuge. We've also become such a large group that we're moving much slower, Unless something changes our pace, we will be here quite a bit longer. I, too, feel that we are experiencing a bonding that is rarely experienced with people, even God's people. Even so, do not be afraid of losing what we have here when we emerge from this valley. Every place we must go through will work to draw us closer to the King first, and as we get closer to Him, we will get even closer to one another. This communion is koinonia and is a taste of the age to come. We must continue to grow in this. We will go through times that will help us grow stronger in our unity, and then times that will test it. You are very good at passing the tests, but an even greater challenge will begin tomorrow. For now, let's enjoy our reward for being devoted to healing, that by this we ourselves are being healed. This koinonia is a taste of what heaven is made of. We have experienced it and brought it into a place that hell now dominates. Regardless of what happens from now on, remember this. We can have this anywhere, and it is our calling to take it everywhere. This is a taste of the love that God is. We know that everything that God does is tested with fire. Tomorrow, a major test will begin. This is not to see if what we have can be destroyed, but rather to purify it. So do not be disturbed by this but be encouraged that the Lord has valued us enough to discipline us as sons and that we are being led to an even greater glory. What is coming tomorrow? Several yelled out. Our reward. God bless you guys. Thank you for following along on this journey through the valley. We will begin tomorrow or next, next Saturday, the next reading, by whenever I can get to it, by the way, will be the test. So keep that in mind. Tomorrow begins the reward in this journey through this valley. Amen. 
God bless you guys. Thank you so much for staying with me. Thank you so much for being tuned in. Continue to follow us here on Living Loud Outdoors. We'll talk to you again real soon.